0: So we're in the middle now of this series called It's All About Jesus. And consequently, what I've been finding over and over again as I've been studying uh, the book of Colossians is that it is actually all about Jesus. And um, we, have been, we have been seeing some amazing things throughout. Uh, one is uh, that the gospel of Jesus is the only hope which can endure the reality of this world and the next. Additionally, we've learned that we are to walk worthy in response to this gospel as we are filled with the knowledge of God's will. Also, Jesus is before all things. He created all things. He is before all things. All things were created through him, for him, by him. We also learned that this calls us not only to just sit back and enjoy it, but put our hands to the plow with all the energy, not that we work up in ourselves, but all the energy that he works in and through us. We also learn that we never graduate from the gospel. The gospel isn't just the ABC of life. The gospel is the A through Z of life. And we never look past the life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus going back up. We never look past that for our hope and our security. And also, what we learned last week is that we could not deal with our sin By just following rules or having special experiences or denying ourselves. That's not where our righteousness is found. That's not where we become right with God. We become right with God because of what Jesus has done. And it is literally, literally all about Jesus. And this week, we're going to continue that. And this week, hopefully, we're going to get a, little, a bit more practical on how this actually moves into our lives. How, how do these realities intrude not only our minds, but our hearts and our hands, our thinking, our willing, our desires? How does this shape that? And that's what we'll be looking at today. So before we do so, I want to pray uh, because I need the help uh, to remember the things that are going to be helpful for you And I need the help to forget the things that won't be. So if you can join me, that would be awesome. Father, we thank you again. We thank you again for who you are, for us in Christ. Lord, we thank you that as we've come in here today, whether we identify as believers, as followers, as disciples or not, Lord, you have called us to be in this place today. It is not a mistake that we are here. So Holy Spirit, now I pray that those who may not know you, those who may not uh, love you, that Lord, you would supernaturally transform their hearts. May I forget the things that will be unhelpful for your people, and may I remember the things that will bring your people closer and closer to you. So we thank you for all these things, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So last week, I want to give a bit of a recap because this week really ties into what Matt was uh, preaching last week. And last week, he, he taught us from Colossians 2 that th- there's this question that was happening in the church of Colossae. This is a question they were wrestling with, and it's this. It's how do we stop the indulgences of the flesh? That was a question. And some of the teachers that came in there, they were saying, okay, well, this is how you stop it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a few uh, tips as to how you stop the indulgences of the flesh. Now, I, I want to stop really quickly before I, I talk about that. And, and what, what is the flesh? And define that. Because so often, we, we have this dualistic idea that the flesh, our, our physical blood, sinew, skin, bone, that's evil, and that our spirits are good. And that's not what Paul means. When Paul uses the word flesh, he's using it uh, to, to denote the sinful nature, the fallen nature, the fallen man. Anything in us that is contrary to God's good purposes and plans for the world. So when you hear flesh, I don't want you to think physical flesh. He's using that as a metaphor for anything that is contrary to God's good and perfect hope and dream for this world. So what is going to stop the indulgences of that. And some teachers came into Colossae, the the, the church that this book was written to, and they were saying, okay, what you need to do is you need to follow rules and regulations. And if you follow rules and regulations, that's where you're going to find your righteousness. That's where you're going to find your hope. That's where you're going to find your being accepted in Christ, if you just follow some rules. Additionally, they also taught that if you had some particular mystical experiences, if you saw visions and if you had uh, uh, prophetic and and sort of uh, out there, uh, outlandish dreams, and that is what draws you closer. And others said if you deny yourself, then that's what's going to make you right with God. And he says that is of no value. So the question today is, what is of value? How do we walk in this Christian life? If you, if you identify today as a believer, the question for you is, how do I continue? What do I do on Monday? What do, what, what do I do on Tuesday? What do I do when, and if you're honest with yourself, you, you can identify with this. What do I do when I'm even surprised by my own thoughts that I could even think that or say that or do that? What do you do there? That's the question at the interface between the sin that creeps up from within us, from our hearts, the interface between that and your next step. The question is, what now? What do we do? And I believe this text gives us sort of three movements and it walks us through what indeed will help us. What indeed will aid us in stopping the indulgences of the indulgences of the flesh. And a lot of us here may be discouraged. You may have come in here and you've lost hope. You've lost hope that you can grow, you've lost hope that you can believe again, you've lost hope that you can not commit this act once again. You've lost hope and you just think well I'm just I'm just a bitter person. I'm just cynical. That's just who I am. That's my character trait. That's just my DNA. That's who I am. That's how I'm wired. And there's just really no hope for me. And I want to tell you today that what Paul is going to show us, what the Holy Spirit, I pray, is going to show us from this text is that there is hope because you are united, Christian, with Christ. You are united with the Lord of the universe. So I want to walk us through this text If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Colossians chapter 3, but it'll be up on the screen. And there are three movements here. One is we look up. We look up. The other one is that we look in. And finally, we look out. So we look up. We look in. We look out. Let's go. You ready? No. Are you ready? If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Well, what, what is Paul saying? And Paul's continuing this thought that he began in chapter 2 where, where he says, If you have died with Christ, then... And now it's if you have been raised with Christ. If you believe that Jesus Christ, that God in Christ has come down despite all things. That he's come down and he's lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. And he died the death that you and I deserve and was raised to life. And if you believe that, he's saying what we are to do is that we are to seek the things that are above not things on earth. And I remember in the first week of Colossians, he speaks about a hope that is in heaven. And I want to remind us that what Paul is not telling us is to just disregard our existence and our, our, our culture and our context. What he's saying is that these things that we see Our culture and our thoughts and the news and our circumstances and our failures and our successes, those aren't the things that we should be focusing on. Those aren't the things that should shape our reality. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, lift up your gaze, look up where Christ is, and let that shape the reality of your worlds. And so often, what we do, we look at our circumstances, we look at our failures. Some of us look at our successes and we take those things and then we interpret the gospel. We interpret who Jesus is through our circumstances, through the things that we can see. But what Paul is saying here is that if you have been raised with Christ, you interpret your circumstances through the gospel. That he, Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning in heaven now, is the, he wants us to take his point of view of things. He doesn't want us to get lost. He doesn't want us to lose the forest for the trees. And so often I do that. I mean, I just, I take my eyes off the reality of who he is and what he has done for me and for us as a church, as a local body of believers. And I forget because I'm focusing on the things right in front of me instead of seeing the things right in front of me through his perspective. It's the gospel that shapes your circumstances, not your circumstances that shape the gospel. We are called to look up. And we see a few things here in this text. We see that we have already died. It's weird. Weird, weird language. We have already died and been raised with Christ. That's happened. That is a re- that's your reality Also, we see that Christ is seated. He has ascended to power, to the right hand. And when when the Bible says that someone is seated, and and particularly when Christ is seated, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's physically sitting down. That is language that shows that his work of, of, of coming and rescuing us and healing our broken hearts is done. And therefore, there's nothing that we can add to that. But also, this is what we see. We see in, in verse 4 that when Christ appears, and he will. I mean, listen. Jesus is coming back. Do you, do you get that? Jesus is coming back. And he will come in glory. The first time Jesus came, he came as a humble, lowly, peasant. I mean, he was a baby. Right? Right? He was a refugee. He came vulnerable, weak, lowly, humble. You know, these, these paintings of a blonde Jesus with blue eyes with a halo. It just distorts our, the reality of it, that he you couldn't pick you, you couldn't point him out in the lineup. He was a normal human being and God. At the same time. But when he comes back, he's not coming back like that. He's coming back in glory. He's coming back in power. He's coming back in splendor. And what you need to see and what you need to walk away with is when that day happens, so will you. Your identity is hidden with him. That's who you are. And you need to remember that, that we need to look up. But so often we, we feel this tension, right? And theologians, they call this tension the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. We're already. We, are die, we have died with Christ and we have raised with Christ. And yet, oh, that's not necessarily my lived Experience The already and the not yet. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews points us out. In Hebrews 2, it says this. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But what we need to understand is that everything. He is powerful. He is reigning. He is ascended. He is glorified now. He has a body that can eat fish and walk through walls. That's what I want. Like, that's amazing. And our our, our goals and our desires are just so small. I want the universe. And what Matt taught us last week is that Christianity isn't necessarily a negative thing. What Christianity calls us is to die to the things that get in way of our ultimate pleasure. Do you get that? Christianity calls us a life of faith in Jesus Christ is the best possible life. Why? Because Psalm 16 says, you have shown me the path of life and there are pleasures in your hand forevermore. And I will gladly, and any investor in here will gladly say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll deny my sinful nature for a few years for joy and glory forever. So we need to look up. We, we can't just walk our lives as navel gauges, just looking at our circumstances and allowing that to shape our reality. What we need to do is we need to look up to where Christ is and allow that to shape our lives. Eugene Peterson captures this tension so beautifully. Let me, let me read you Colossians 3, 1 to 4 from the message. He says it like this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ. Act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is, listen, your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He, listen, he is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you. The glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. He is your life and so often we make relationships our life and we say things like and we may not we may not say them verbally but actions we know if I can use that old phrase speak louder than words relationships become our life and we say things like if I just had this person or if I just finally had a spouse then I would be complete I would be happy career becomes our life Money becomes our life. Possession, sex, power, ministry becomes our life. Preaching can become our life. Serving becomes our life. Control, your spouse, your achievements, your failures, you. And we hide ourselves under these things. And we say, these are the things that will protect me. These are the things that will uh, 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 give me my identity but your life is hid with Christ in God and we look confidently up because as we do that it allows us to look confidently in verse 5 put to death therefore oof put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness Which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So after we look up and we see Christ ruling and reigning and we see our lives through that perspective... Paul tells us, look in. And so often, most often, it's not a pretty sight. Luke 6 uh, says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so often what we do is, I remember doing this all the time. I've been married uh, going on 10 years, and I would always blame Catherine. You made me angry, right? Right? If you wouldn't have said that, right? If you would have just done the dishes before, you know, everything is just you, 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 you. You've made me angry. You've made me blow up. You've, you've made me. But what we need to realize as we look in is that these things come from the center of our, what Paul calls the flesh, the sinful nature. And he says this unequivocally. Put them to Death. And so often, we, we, are, we are very adept at sin management. And we, we, we put sin in a cage instead of in the morgue. That's what we do. So what we do is that we, we say, well, I, I, just, I just need to stop. Ooh, just pure pulling me, myself up by the bootstraps. I, I just need to Stop. And we manage our sin. We change the furniture in our heart. But listen, your furniture in your heart is still rotten. If there were termites in this building, and we, we change it all up, right? That, that's management. That's just saying, if I can just change my environment, then I'll be okay. But what we learned last week, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And Christ calls us to something called uh, repent, well, Paul, something called repentance. And in fact, um, repent was the very first word recorded by Jesus. Repent and believe, Matthew four seventeen. The very first word that after he lived a life of, of obscurity for 30 years, he was baptized by his cousin John. And he went on a preaching ministry. The very first thing he said was repent. Repent and believe. And we need to do three things. We need to understand three things. We need to understand the depth of our sin. We need to understand the results of our sin. And we need to understand the remedy for our sin. The depth of our sin, the result of our sin, and the remedy for our sin. A lot of us grew up, if you grew up in something called church, you were probably taught that sin is an action. That if I do something, that, that there, that thing that I did, that's a sin. And it's all outward. And, and, and what what Paul shows us, I think, in, in this text is that the depth of our sin is not just what we do. But it's, it's embedded deep within our heart. I, I want to point you to a slide up here. And what we see in this text, and I, I want to read it again. He says... Uh, uh, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity. I couldn't get the consensual circles big enough. So sexual immorality is not up there. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And what I see Paul doing here is he's taking one, one of the many things that we could do. So this isn't the chief vice, but he's taking one thing that was happening in Colossae. And he says, sexual immorality, where does that come from? And it starts with idolatry. It starts with saying, God is not the true God, but in this case, sex is. And what happens after we replace God in our hearts as our true God? We covet, we want something that shouldn't be ours. And what does that give rise to? That gives to now a rise to this evil desire. And that then gives rise to impurity. Passion, rather. Now I'm wanting this and now it's just inflamed in me. And then it turns into impurity. And then finally it works its way out in this case as sexual immorality. And And that's just this case also that applies to our culture. But I want you to see this, that sin, the depth of sin, isn't just what you do. The depth of sin goes all the way back into your heart. And it starts with what you believe about who is ultimate in this universe. And we can make a million, we, we, we can replace sexual immorality with a million things. But it goes back to one thing, idolatry. Romans 1 talks about how we have We have rejected the true God, and we have worshiped created things. That we take what is worthy of worship, and we demote that, and we take what is not worthy of worship, what are often good things like sex. It is a gift. Did you know God invented sex? And it feels like, it almost feels like sex is sort of, I don't know, like a child of two divorced parents. Where, where the church and the world were divorced and, and the world got custody of sex. And, and, you know, we only get to see him, you know, what, once? Every couple weeks or something? Like, we. Like, no, sex is ours. Sex is was created by the God that we worship. It is a good thing. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, that's when it becomes dangerous. Fire in a fireplace is a great thing. Fire on your lap, not so much. And God has given us, it's just true, try it. <laughs> and God, is, God has given us this great gift of sex, but so often when, when at the center of our hearts, when our hearts are broken, and we're looking for something to fill that void, to scratch that itch, and we place anything other than the one who was created for that, we begin to ruin everything. The depth of our, we need to understand that sin is not just something we do, but something that is so deeply embedded in who we are. Sin is like this. Sin is like I, I've heard it said: if sin was blue, we'd be blue all over. Doesn't mean you you you're the bluest you can be. Doesn't mean that we are as bad as we can be. But what it does mean is that everything is affected by our sin. That we need to understand the depth of our sin if we're going to repent of it, and not just the acts of it. We also need to understand, then, the result of our sin. And it says this, on account of these, the wrath, the wrath of God is coming. We don't like that. God is God. How how could you say, Arnaldo, that God is wrathful. And maybe, maybe, partly you've been in a relationship, whether it's your father or an ex-spouse, uh, or maybe you're in a relationship now where you experience wrath and you experience explosive, unadulterated anger at you. And maybe you have been a recipient, a, 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 a victim of someone else's wrath. And you think, no, 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 no. God cannot be that way. And what we're doing is we are taking our experiences. Again, we're not looking up to the one who is love. So what does it look like? What is the wrath of God? I would submit that the wrath of God is God's holy disposition and action toward anything that destroys his good creation. If you have anything that you love, that you would die for, let that thing be attacked. I mean, for the fathers here, if you have children, I mean, I am in love with my kids. Like I think they're, like I think anyone could, like anyone could love them. I I, I don't want to be one of those parents that thinks you know that their kids are special. You know, no, I think they're just cool kids. They're cool people. I mean, and I would gladly jump in front of a bus for them, a million and and. I can't imagine if anyone would want to cross this right here, right? Like to get my kids, like what's, you know, I, my, 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 my disposition, right? To protect that, that uh, to, to protect the ones that I love. Anything that would destroy that, even themselves. What, what would it look like? What does it look like? And, and this is the thing, we often believe that what's destroying this earth is something outside of me, right? It's them over there. And that's so often what religion does. Religion says that, uh, and the premise of religion, the heart of religion is that if I do certain amount of things or if I do particular kinds of things, then God will accept me. The gospel says that God has accepted me, and therefore I respond in love and grace. But what religion does, it, 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 it circles around things. And it says if you... Do these things, and you're right with God. And then we demonize everything else. And the problem then doesn't become us. It becomes you and yours. Those kinds of people build that wall, right? Those people over there, they're the problem. And when we finally see the depth of our sin, when we look into our hearts and we see that sin is not just something we do, but something that's deeply embedded in our hearts, then we realize that we too will be swept up. And it says because of this, because of idolatry, because of the heart of sin, because idolatry destroys the universe, God will come in wrath. He will come glorious. And he will come to cleanse this world there are a lot of people i know at anchor who are passionate about justice passionate about seeing the oppressed freed there are more sex slaves in sydney than we would ever believe there are more slaves today around the world than there was when there was chattel slavery from africa into the americas did you know that There are people who are passionate about justice. And listen, that is a candle to the sun of the passion that God has to see all the wrongs in this world made right. And that includes our broken hearts. Because we are not just spectators to the brokenness of the world. We have been recipients of it, absolutely. We have been sinned against. But listen, you have also responded sinfully. And we are all caught up in this. There was not one person. I remember uh, this old, uh, this preacher that I used to, li- that I still listen to, and he said, "If, if uh, the world was a Western, right? Western movies have the good guys and the bad guys, and the good guy usually wears a white hat. And if the world was a Western, Jesus would be the only one with a white hat. We would all not be wearing white hats. We are all caught up in this, and we are given the chance, the glorious chance and opportunity." To look up and then look in and deal with what is there. And what Paul tells us is we put this to death. You know, again, I mentioned I've been married 10 years. And the way that this has worked in my own life is uh, married 10 years, happily married for about a year now. And we've, we've, we've been working through stuff. You know, we're growing. And I have not uh, enjoyed Catherine more than I have these past, you know, this past couple of years. In the beginning of marriage, what I, what, I was, what, what I used to do is I would look to her for my approval and my validation. So it looked sort of like this. It looked sort of, I'd be doing the dishes, right? But really loudly. <laughs> I'd walk out with my towel, like, you know, pretending to, you know, be tired. I'd go, yeah, <clears throat> the, the, you don't have to do the dishes today. That's all good. And she you know, she'd be, pl- she's a teacher. She'd be plugging away. She goes, okay, thanks. I'm like, <laughs> okay? like, that's, that's it. You know, or I do the laundry and I say, hey, hey, uh, you know, there were really probably like two loads, but I would lie and say, yeah, I did five loads today. <laughs> and she goes, oh, thanks, you know, it's, it's great, thanks. I was busy. That's that's, and I'm like, well, well, well I mean, what, what, listen, what was happening in my heart? What was happening in my heart? I was looking to her for approval, for validation. For security, I made her God. I put the weight of God on her shoulders and it ruined our marriage because I would react sinfully. I, 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 would, I would be angry. I would blow up. Why? Because I was looking to her for what only God can give me. And when I took her off the pedestal of deity, of Godhood, Boy, what joy and freedom and love have we experienced since then? And I had to do a couple things. I had to do something that that we what we call fruit to root. And if you're battling with any any sin today, I, I want to encourage you uh, that this is one way that we you can di- diagnose that. and there are two uh, a couple steps that we can do. One is you look at what's happening, you look at your fruit. In my case, it was Fearing cast disapproval of me. That was the fruit. And I was angry and I was bitter towards her for years. And that, that, was, what was, hap- that was what was coming out of my life. And then I, I had to go back and I say, okay, well, what is this saying about my identity? What was this saying about who I am? And the narrative in my mind was that I'm just not good enough. I need her approval. I need other people's approval. I need to know that I'm accepted. I need to know that I'm beautiful. I need to know that I'm clean. I need to know that I'm holy. I need to know these things. And I was looking to her for those things. And then you take a step back and you say, okay, God in Christ, what, well, what does that mean? What, what does the cross mean? Well, not a lot. Because the cross just wasn't enough. The cross just wasn't enough. In the cross, God says that you are accepted, you are holy, you are clean because of what Jesus has done. And that was not enough. I was looking to something else. And what did that say then about who God is? That he's distant, he's not a good father, and he doesn't take care of me, and he hasn't accepted me. And when I started to figure these things out with Catherine and with friends, what I needed to do is I needed to replace the lie with the truth. I needed to say, no, 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 God is not this, and he's near. He's not disapproving of me. He loves me. He died for me. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You are the joy. I am the joy. And then that said, okay, well, that means that the cross, the cross is enough. That in the cross, he has accepted me by Jesus' death. And resurrection, he says, I am clean, I am good, I am worthy of being loved. And finally then, I said, I am accepted in the beloved. And therefore, my, my fruit towards Catherine was like, it's okay. It, it's okay if I am not, you know, if she doesn't rent a billboard saying thank you for doing the dishes. But that's what I wanted. I wanted to be driving on the M5 and say, hey, Thanks. That's what I craved. That's what I desired. So, one thing that we can do, and, and this is more of a, a long term, is, is using this tool that we use in triplets and in gospel communities called fruit to root, where we look at our lives and we work backwards. And then, when we get to the root of the problem, which is our idolatry, we replace that with the truth of the gospel that God is a good father, that he is good, he is great, he is glorious, and he is gracious to us, and for us. But that is something that takes a while. So there are two movements that we need to do. This is a long-term movement, but also there is an immediate thing that we need to do when sin confronts us, and that is put it to death. Say no. You, listen, you may have forgotten this this week. You, Christian, have the Holy Spirit. Living inside of you. And the scriptures promise us that you have everything in yourself. Because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to say no to sin. It's, it's almost like this. I don't know if you guys, guys have seen the Avengers. I have kids and I use them as an excuse to watch these movies. And the Avengers, the first one, you know... They all get together and they're fighting Loki, which is Thor's brother, and Thor's from Australia, so you should know him. uh, Home and Away, and um, what's happening right at at the end of the movie? There's sort of this mothership out in space, and there's this wormhole, and these things called Chitauri, right, are coming through, and you know the Avengers are fighting them. They're fighting them. They're fighting them. And finally, what needs to happen is that the mothership needs to be destroyed in order for for the Chitauri to be killed finally and fully. And this is what we do sometimes. We just kill the... They realized as they were just killing the Chitari, they were, they were still coming up. They would still continue to pop up. And when I was watching this for, I don't know, the 400th time, I realized I, I do that with my sin. I just attack the fruit. But I'm leaving the root, the mothership, alive and well. And I'm expending all this energy just attacking the fruit. And what we need to do is we need to do both. The Avengers killed the Chitari, but Tony Stark went up and he killed the motherboard. And we need to do both. We need to do both. We, we need, when we come up against sin and when sin comes up against us, we need to kill it right then and there. Simple practice is this. I'm going to say this again, is say no. When that thought Creeps into your mind, coming up from your heart, whatever it is, whether it's being bitter, whether it's sleeping with someone, whether it's looking at pornography, whether it's finding your righteousness in your preaching, whether it is finding your, your security in your spouse, whether it is looking to your kids to say that you are okay. When that thought pops up into your mind, you have the Holy Spirit empowered grace to say no and at the same time you can look not only to the sin itself but to the sin beneath the sin which is idolatry so we look up we look up and we see God's grace to us in Christ that we are hid with him we look in and we repent of our sin but also now we look out and this will not be as long as point two do not lie to one another verse nine Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So what does this mean for us then? You know, we, we, we do that, that, that hard work of, of the soul, of the inner person and what this says is now what we do is that we put off, we take off the old person, the false self. When you're tempted to sin, Christian, when you're here and you come up against it, what that is, that's the residue of the self that has died on the cross. So what Paul is saying, be who you already are. You're not that person anymore. Do you know that you need to be a reminder of that? You are not your failures. You are not your sin. You are not that. Put on the new self. And Brad next week is going to uh, uh, um, extract. He's going to talk about what it looks like to put on the new self. What are the characteristics of that? But clearly, what Paul is saying: put off the old self and put on the new self. And what this does, it transforms community. When we are no longer justified by how we parent when we are no longer justified by what car we drive, when we don't find our identity by who we marry or how much money we make, that opens us up to real community where there are no longer those kinds of distinctions. They don't matter. They're important. In in the new heavens and the new earth, it says there will be every tongue, tribe, nation. Our, Our ethnicities will not be wiped out when Jesus comes back. But what he's saying is that our ethnicities do not define primarily who we are. I am no longer now primarily Puerto Rican, although I'm proud as hell. I am now primarily a son of God who happens to be Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, East New York, represent. But that's not my primary identity. My primary identity is now that I am accepted in the beloved of God. That the voice that Jesus heard at his baptism, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. That is the voice to me now. That's who I am. That's who you are. And now all these other distinctions, whether you're in finance or business or or in the cleaning industry or in retail, doesn't matter because Christ is all. And in all. So I want you to look up. And I want you to see, I want you to realize that your life now is hid with Christ and God. I want you to look in and realize that we need to continually fight for holiness. Ugly word nowadays, holier than now. But holiness is this. Holiness is going with the grain of the universe. Holiness is saying no to our false selves, our old selves, and saying yes to our new selves, to our true selves. And we have to fight for holiness by putting sin to death because it doesn't belong here anymore. It's almost like when, we, when you become a Christian and, and, and Paul's saying is to put on the new self, sometimes it doesn't fit. And it's almost like a, a, a three-year-old kid putting on his daddy's suit, Right? And a lot of us may have come to faith very recently. And it it, it just feels like such a battle and such a fight because this just doesn't fit. But as we grow and as we repent of our sin, what happens is as we grow, we we begin, the suit begins to be tailored to us. And now, even while now, it may be hard for you to be kind, As the Holy Spirit renews us, renews our minds, renews our hearts, it's going to be hard to be bitter. And it's going to become harder to be mean. And it's going to become harder to be greedy. And it's going to become harder to covet someone else's possessions. And it's going to become harder to sin. Because as we grow, you need to have faith, not in yourself, but in the fact that Jesus is working on you. And it can be a slow process, but he is working on you. In the small things and in the big things, expect that the Lord is working on you and that you will experience freedom. He's working on you, and, and, and we do this by looking in, but also we look out as we put off our old selves and put on our new selves and how this radically transforms the community because now we're not identified by what we see, by what, what, what's right in front of us. We're identified by looking up and saying, that's, that's who I am. My life is hid with Christ in God. And we do that. We, we, we do that primarily by just saying no to sin and going back to the root of our sin. And that's the how. And if I left it there, I'd say, go, go, go do it. Go do it with no power whatsoever what's the fuel for this i want you to go away with this the reason why you can put your sin to death in your flesh is because the one who had no sin was put to death in the flesh for your sin. The fuel is in the reality that the one who calls us to put put sin to death was put to death because of our sins. You have that vision of him. And not only do you have that vision of him theologically, of Jesus being sinless and dying on a cross, but do you have that vision? Can you taste this on the pallor of your heart that he did that for you? That he died for you. To heal the brokenness of your own heart so that you no longer will rely on other things to give you your identity but you will look to him and say my life is hid with Christ in God. Father we thank you now. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that The only hope for us to stop the indulgences of the flesh, of the sinful nature, it's not in legalism, it's not in experiences, it's not in denying ourselves primarily, but it is by looking up and seeing where the action is and seeing who you are and seeing... How you now call us your sons and your daughters. Where we were once orphans, we are now adopted into your family. And we thank you for that. And so now we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be anxious. Because the the one person in the universe whose opinion of us matters has said this. You are my beloved son, You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And with that, may you send your church out in the power of the Holy Spirit. To be your church in the power of the Holy Spirit in this city. So that we can see not only our lives transformed, but our communities, cities, and nations transformed. All this for your glory and your honor. That we would decrease, Lord, but that you would increase.